This podcast is intended for adult audiences only and contains explicit language in spicy situations. And we do not replace any advice of professionals and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not reflect our own. Welcome to the Pineapple Express podcast. And I'm your host, Kylie, a.k.a. Sexy Swinger Chick. And I'm Brad, a.k.a. Brad the Space Cadet. Journey with us as we navigate in ethical non-monogamy, sex positivity, sex work, and relationship advice as millennial swingers. Explore with us as we share some of our upside-down pineapple ventures with you. All All aboard aboard the Pineapple Pineapple Express. Welcome, pineapple heads. That is... (laughs) hilarious you know how like the grateful dead has like dead heads like what's what's something that i can have dead or uh pineapple heads right (laughs) anyhow um so this podcast is really awesome and amazing um but you guys know me i am like most honest person you'll ever meet in this space um I just want to be like super vulnerable and honest right now. This fucking work, you guys, is hard. Like it's so hard. Um, you know, I woke up this morning to like <laughs> people on Reddit, you know, just making fun of me and like just saying all these nasty negative things about the work that I'm doing. And it's like, I know I shouldn't let that bother me. Like they're just literally just trolls that don't even count in the scheme of things but like at the end of the day you know it is hard to like have a lot of this like scrutiny on you when when I'm you know it would be so much easier for me to like just sit back and not say my opinion and sometimes I feel like I probably should do that anyways like Because I can just be really, really opinionated and like really brash. And I understand these things about myself. And sometimes I just can't hold myself back, you know. Um, But sometimes it's good to hold yourself back because it shows like self-preservation and like that you just, you know. um, But yeah, so I think it's just been a struggle. I know I'm doing the right thing and I know that I'm doing what I want to do and I know that I'm helping people um, and I know that that's what matters in the long run is like educating and supporting people but it still fucking hurts to lose relationships and lose friendships and have to be you know just standing tall in these beliefs and like saying things with our chest like um, me and Bridget referenced that a lot and you know I just made a video about that about how like You can't sit here and say that you're an advocate for, like, all the communities and, like, you're inclusive and you love everybody if you're not saying these things with your chest. Like, if you're not making a valid statement about this and your statement comes through, like, your actions, not what you say. So that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about that. But, yeah, just know guys that like this work is really starting to like frustrate me and it's painful but like also it's very rewarding so to those of you who still support me and love me I just want to express all the gratitude to you because 
you keep me going and I love you guys. So thank you guys so much for listening to my podcast week after week. Um, I really appreciate it. And I hope you guys really like this podcast with Professor Playtime. Um, We did a podcast a couple of months ago about jealousy, but this is a really, really cool one and one that I've been meaning to do. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Oh, and here's a message from our sponsors. I get asked all the time, how do I get into the non-monogamous lifestyle? And I've got the solution for you. It's the Three Fun app. It's the best dating app for couples and singles looking to explore open relationships. It's totally millennial friendly, aka it's in the 21st century, you guys. This is finally a dating app for us non-monogamous folks who are looking for a unicorn, maybe you're looking for a bull, maybe you're looking for a couple. This is my favorite app and I use it all the time. If you want to find a link to it, just go to www.sexyswingerchick.net and you'll find my link. I hope to see you guys there. Introducing The Sultry Vixen, your one-stop shop for all your sex work and rave wear needs. Whether you're hitting the pole or the festival scene, The Sultry Vixen has got you covered. From dance shoes to box outfits, custom dance outfits, and lingerie to vibrant festival outfits, they've got the perfect gear to make you shine. Stand out with their neon rave accessories and all of their costumes that will take your festival experience to the next level. And they also carry men's and plus sizes. They are a family-owned and operated ravewear slash dancewear shop located in Riverside, California. The quickest way to reach them is directly through their Instagram. Visit thesultryvixen.com today for the hottest trends in dance and rave fashion. Dance more and glow more with The Sultry Vixen. Hey, Upside Down Pineapple people. Join the millions of couples enjoying amazing sex with Promescent. I personally love their variety of products they offer And their aloe-based lube is the only lube I've ever used that doesn't throw off my pH. Brad loves their delay spray, which is clinically proven to help men last longer in bed. Their products have a 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping on orders in the U.S. over $10. Their shipping is discreet and private, which is perfect for us in the swinger lifestyle. Make sure that you go to www.promescent.com backslash Kylie for all your discreet sexual health needs. My link is in the show notes. Promescent helps you live your best upside down pineapple life. D, like the kind you get while watching your partner was someone else. You're having the time of your life, yet are having stage fright. Most men in the lifestyle use prescription ED medication for this reason. Shameless Care should be your provider. Shameless is less expensive than other companies and has a 50-state network of physicians who are lifestyle-friendly. Use coupon code CHIC, that's C-H-I-C, for $30 off. Shamelesscare.com. You guys, thanks for tuning in to the Pineapple Express podcast. I have a recurring guest, uh, Professor Playtime, is here, and... We are going to talk about um, some kind of heavier subjects today. Uh, It's something that I really wanted to do a podcast on for a long time, but I just didn't know if I was in the right headspace yet. But I think I'm here. I think we're good. And um, I did want to just preface this with a trigger warning. We're going to be talking about um, a lot of 
triggering topics when it um, surrounding like diversity, inclusion and equitability and um, specifically within the non-monogamous communities and the swinger community, uh, we're going to be talking about sex work and just some triggering topics. So I did want to say like, if, if this isn't the podcast for you, then that's okay. You can listen next week and hear sexy stories. Right. But we're, this is like a very, uh, I would say like not very serious, but it's it's just serious topics that we're going to be talking about. So I did want to preface that. Um, was there anything you wanted to say on that, Bridget? No, I think the only thing that I would uh, just call in is that I was socialized as a white person. And so a lot of these topics and conversations that we're having around diversity, equity, and inclusion are coming through that bias and through that perspective. And while I've done a lot of work and continuing to do work, and I know Kylie is as well, to get to a place where we feel um, deconditioned fully, it's an ongoing process. And so anybody listening to this, if you hear something and, and I misspeak, or if you hear something that does not resonate, like I want to just openly say that, like, I am open for that feedback. That type of feedback is what allows me to continue to grow in this space. And I am always available to be told that like, I'm not, I'm wrong or what I'm saying didn't resonate. Yeah. And same literally same, like, you know, I'm coming from a place of privilege. I was socialized, you know, in very white communities growing up. Um, you know, I'm still very socialized within white communities as well. So I did just want to say like, this is, we're speaking from our experience and what we've learned and what we know, but there's still room to grow. There's always room to grow. So if you have any feedback, um, I'm always open. You can email me, you can, find me on social media. I'm going to post um, Professor Playtime social media and um, all that stuff so you can reach out to her and just, you know, give your, because that helps us grow. You know, if yeah. we, if people give us opinions and, and constructive criticism is like the way to grow. So if we say anything or speak on anything that you don't agree with, that's totally fine. And, you know, we, we welcome that in from everyone. Mm-hmm. Okay. So first and foremost, I didn't really realize um, and, you know, when I started doing this work and I got familiar with DEI, I would say this was about like a year, year and a half ago. And this is when I started to get involved with NCSF, um, which has actually almost been two years now. And, you know, I didn't really understand what D- DEI, diversity, equitability and um, inclusion, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, you know, I guess I kind of had a little bit of an understanding. So can you just give us just like a really quick definition of what, you know, DEI actually means. Yeah. So as you stated, like DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, And the reason that, and I'll just speak from my perspective on it. The reason those things are separated out as three in three distinct words is because they are different. And the way that they show up either as cultural biases or as like uh, within the liberation movement are different and how we interact with them are different. Um, I also want to call in that, like, at least within the four love world, we're doing integrity work. A huge part of that is DEI for a lot of us, but it also has a lot to do with consent and accountability. And I bring this all in because I, I really do think that if we are doing a lot of work around understanding what diversity means, meaning like representation of all different bodies and all different types and all different neurofunctioning and all different like physical abilities and backgrounds, right? Um, if we're doing all this, but we're not also prioritizing conversations around consent and accountability, this work can kind of fall flat. 
but to bring it back to your original question, um, one of my like favorite ways to look at this, and if you're open to it, I might just like read that this piece because it's it's on and it's on the four love webpage, but I think this does a really good job of breaking down like what the the nuances between these like semi-synonymous words. And so yeah. this is from anti-racist education. They're on Instagram. Highly recommend you follow them. They're doing a lot of good work, just helping people understand how to like integrate some of these things and also bring awareness to some of our blind spots. And so this was a post that they they had posted a while ago. It says diversity asks who's in the room. Equity responds who is trying to get in the room but can't, whose presence in the room is under constant threat of erasure. And inclusion asks, have has everyone like in this room, have all of their ideas been heard? Mm-hmm. Right. And so it it's Diversity is like looking around in the experience and going, okay, is there actual representation of the world at large here? Or is it just a smaller subset of the people that we see in the world at large? Equity is saying like, there are people outside the door, right? There are leaders, there are educators, there are like sex workers that right there are these people who are maybe in traditionally marginalized communities that aren't being given the same platform, that aren't being given the same representation in these spaces, and they aren't being valued the same. Like that's a really important piece of Mm -hmm. equity is it's not just about, am I here, but am I being valued the same as everyone else's voices that are standing in the same room as me? Mm -hmm. Right. And inclusion is, are we actually listening to those voices? Right. Are you actually being given a chance to give feedback? And am I actually listening to your feedback? And am I actually using that and like prioritizing that on the same level in my mind as I would somebody else with a different body that I might be more socialized with and then making decisions and changing that? Right. Because sometimes what we find is is a community in a marginalized community or uh, a marginalized voice will will, you know, speak up. But that isn't really heard or integrated because uh, this like subconscious bias that like immediately puts that voice a little bit lower. And so when all of these things are moving together and working together and the reason we bring them all together is because they're all necessary in the larger conversation, which is really liberation. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know. Okay, so me personally, as a swinger, I or somebody who's not monogamous, I it that can be a marginalized group. I think like it's a subset of, uh, you know, because pe- we can lose our jobs, like we can lose, uh, you know, custody of our children. Like it is still very stigmatized, but also like it's it's also still taboo, and people don't come out and say like I'm a swinger, or, you know, I'm polyamorous. So it's kind of a gray area. But I do think it is really important, like these kind of liberations, all of these marginalized groups, we all have to work together mm-hmm. and support one another, especially in sex positive spaces. And when I mean sex positive, I mean like sex workers, you know, people who are uh, going like for trans rights and, you know, gender rights and LGBTQIA plus, which are um, marginalized groups, right? Like we, ha- we all have to work together toward that. And so that's why I think this conversation is extremely important to have in these rooms because like, we're all in this together, you guys, like, yeah. Are, and you know, and, and I'm glad that you said this early on because it's, it's one of the parts that was frustrating for me early on. in all of this was like that, that it, it felt like a big jump for people to make that comparison. And for me, I like, again, fully acknowledging my privilege in this, 
my coming out as non-monogamous and, and coming out as, as pansexual, that was in a lot of ways, one of the first times that I really dealt with societal stigma, that I really felt like the impacts of just being who I am, right. And how that could potentially disadvantage me. Obviously there's a whole be- a world of beautiful advantages that, that lead me to choose this every day or, well, you know, as much of it as it is a choice, but I, that was what catapulted me down this path of wanting to better understand social conditioning and biases and power and privilege, because I couldn't help, but like recognize the likeness. And, and at least at bare minimum, I had this like new developed sense of empathy and this self-awareness of like, holy shit, where have I made people feel like this before? You know, because they exist at different intersections than me because of my own blindness to their experience. And my hope is that people listening to this can recognize that, yeah, you're right. And even if you aren't in a place where you're at risk of losing your job or losing custody of your kids, we absolutely deal with just simple like social structures that like I'm sure you have been in a conservative environment. Right. You yes. feel the energy of that. And I'm and you and I are pretty public figures. We've got we've done a lot of work to be able to have these conversations in the face of adversity um, and pushback. And still, my nervous system responds to that the minute I'm in the room. And I'm listening for people making comments that would indicate they might not be safe or they may harbor some like, you know, heteronormative or mononormative viewpoints that could be dangerous for me. And so we now have almost this new opportunity to recognize how those that that's that those systems of oppression work on a firsthand basis which is where empathy and compassion comes from and it is our job now to figure out how to like pay like not pay that forward whatever the opposite of that would be right and like to take steps to not perpetuate that for other communities and far too often because this is just like how like grabbing for power and resources looks when we get one rug up the ladder, we just like kick the the people behind us down or point at them to kind of like get the blame off of us. And I would really like to move away from that and move way more towards what you're describing, which is, hey, when you actually look at all of the communities that live on like the, the fringes of society that exist outside of normative standards, we are the majority and we, when we come together and we recognize those likenesses and we, and we start to like listen to one another from that place of empathy, we are fucking powerful. Mm-hmm. It's just that they, we have every system at play against us because they know that they know that, that we are more powerful when we work together. Well, yeah. I mean, divide, literally divide and conquer, you know, um, that's been, a, I mean, and I want to say definitely like since 2020, uh, with all, you know, all of that, the, the race riots and all that, like since 2020, this has been a really big thing. It's been, it's gotten to a place that it's so polarizing and it's that divide and conquer. And like, I, it feels like we just need to push back against that and, and recognize that and say, you know what, um, instead of being apart and instead of like fighting over this, like if we do this together, we can get so much more done. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we are stronger together if we fight and I don't want to say fight this fight, but if we work on this together, if we grow in this together, you know, if we mm-hmm. grow into these spaces. And um, so I just want to call that in, you know, when we're talking about this as well, like it's I feel like it's really important to look at this of a place of like coming together with love. You know, we're having these conversations with love, with support and just wanting to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to also acknowledge that like 
there's probably even privilege in us like seeing this as possible simply because like my body has in historically for a lot of like other communities hasn't been safe for those things. Mm -hmm. Like we haven't gone out, white people haven't gone out of their way to make themselves safe. And I think that's where a lot of like the personal accountability and the personal work, which is, yes, it's, yes, it's so easy. It's easier to be like, to see this like sort of utopian collective and so much of the work to get there is in recognizing that people are, it may take a while and work for people to actually believe us. And mm-hmm. actually want to work with us, right? Because I hear a lot about lip service. Like there's a lot of, uh, you know, white leaders, but, you know, just people in power that will do a lot of lip service for the sake of monetizing or growing or wanting to be good people, right? They they, they want theoretically to stand behind these ideas of anti-racism and, you know, but are they actually doing the work and and changing behavior and standing behind these things in such a way that like a marginalized community or a community where you know a community that i represent may have historically oppressed or been a part of the oppression of yeah they're like i would understand if if it's not tomorrow that you trust me when i'm saying these things and i think that's where a lot of in my journey and and others that i've seen we can get kind of stuck because it's almost like okay cool well i'm a good white person now you can trust me and they're mm-hmm. like okay I'm friends Based with black what? people. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I have lots of black friends. You know, yeah. I have trans friends. So, um, you Ugh. know, like that's I. Tokenizing. I that. yeah. yeah, it's really, really like almost in. And I think that we're in this space right now where it can kind of look performative, um, yes. especially within you know groups like like you know swinger groups. You know, it can look. Oh well, we are diverse. We we care. We we care about trans people and we we care about you know but like where is that coming from what kind of work have you done because i still see your imaging is all white people who are skinny and, mm. and young skinny and wealthy <laughs> and represent like a very specific type of what we are already like conditioned to believe is acceptable to be naked and sex positive mm-hmm. right and it's yeah. like and, and yeah no i i 100 agree i mean i think it is it is lip service if you're just talking about it. It is abusive if you're monetizing it and just talking about it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the truth is, this is true in non-monogamous, in, in all non-monogamous, I mean, it's true in all communities, all communities. if you're actively participating and shifting that behavior and taking steps to hold ourselves accountable to that changed behavior. Absolutely, 100%. And I... It's it's crazy because I, you know, I was just in a musical, <laughs> excuse me, and it closed yesterday and that changing like communities, right? And in being a part of a community of people in, you know, the theater community um who like truly are inclusive, you know. Um I, this was the first time I had ever been socialized with trans people. Mm-hmm. Um you know, a lot of queer people, people um, who were disabled, mm-hmm. people with a lot of neurodivergencies and people of color um, who were in not only like just roles, but they were like uplifted. They were in those lead roles. Right. And this was the first time that I was really able to sit down and like learn from them and just shut up and be <laughs> like, all right, I'm I'm here and I, I'm ready to like learn. And I, that was so important for me. So like this doesn't just translate to the non-monogamous community. I think this is 
all communities as a whole. But me and you work in the non-monogamous spaces mostly. Yeah. But I just I think it's really cool if you open yourself up to new communities and in different places and different spaces, like you can really learn so much. Um, so how do you think that like non-monogamy um, going to like that non-monogamy community conversation, like how do you feel like it can intersect with the issues of like diversity, race, um, ethnicity and cultural background? Like historically, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is like, I love this question because this is where I spend a lot of time. Like this is where so much of my research and so much of the conversations live, because like we were saying before, if we take any community, we'll take the non-monogamous community because that's the one that's the world we live in. And we put it under a microscope. We are going to see certain issues, right? Like, and we pay attention to the things that people say and the incidents that arise. If we then scale outwards from there, to the larger society that is represented in that community, we're going to see the exact same issues that are reflected in larger society within that little microscope. And so anything, any system of harm that could potentially exist in society can potentially exist in your community. Now, where I think it, it, I have seen it really um, cause harm in non-monogamous and definitely sex positive communities um, is one, if people have not done any work to decondition or what other people refer to as decolonize their sexuality, um, and you're still operating from a place where your attraction is deeply conditioned based on social media and, and like that, then you're very, very much inclined to, um, potentially carry an energy that's harmful when you're in a truly diverse space where all bodies are celebrated and naked. And so that I think can absolutely be one. Um, underrepresentation of people of color, underrepresentation of, of people um, with different physical abilities, underrepresentation of people with different physical body sizes is a really big one in these spaces. And then because we're in the nature of sexuality, we can very easily like fetishize without realizing that we are fetishizing a certain community and a certain group. And those showing up in a space where we have openly stated, because many of us do, this is safe. You're safe here. Yeah, come be vulnerable. And those things are at play. That's where I think within the non-monogamous communities, and again, because we are also a a group of, of, of historically marginalized people, it's almost like more harmful when we are blind to the the ways that we are perpetuating these systems of harm. And it is definitely more harmful when we are openly stating, it's safe for you here, come, come. And we have done nothing to ensure the safety or at least the bare minimum, the recognition and awareness of a certain community. And this is not to assume that everyone that sits at that intersection of that community has these experiences. But what we wanna try and do is be is make sure that we are considering those fringes within the non-monogamous community because we are actively telling people, definitely I'll speak as like organizers, many of us are telling people that this is a safer space, this is a space for liberation. And if it is a true space for liberation, there needs to be action behind that. Otherwise, the non the, we are we we very well are perpetuating systems of harm in an extremely vulnerable space that is supposed to be safe and aware. Right. And that's That's really one of the things that called me to this was trying to have those, you know, and um, it brings me back, me and um, Brett from Open, 
Mm-hmm. So um, he's been on the podcast. I know you know Brett pretty well, but um, we, me and him were like the millennials in the room full of like white leaders, white men leaders. And every time they would speak about this and and, and say, well, you know, like we, we play hip hop music at our club um, and like, you, you know, things like that. And me and him would just like look at each other and we would be like, oh my God, we have so much work to do. And I, so I far. Think- we have so far to go. <laughs> yeah. We're like, oh my God. Um, and I, we we laugh about it now because we're like, I just remember me and him like having this look of almost like horror on our faces because we were just like, oh yeah. my gosh. And you and know the thing is, is that that in and of itself is privilege, right? Like that's what's so interesting when you when we really start to take a look at the way that power and privilege is wielded for to like maintain or gain control. Mm-hmm. It's like the fact that we didn't even know this was a problem speaks to our that like how privilege can operate where we're blind to it often if we benefit from it. You are certainly not blind to it. You are very aware when you are in, in one shape or form like disenfranchised by the system, but it's like oh my God, I didn't, I didn't realize this was happening. And that like often can actually send, you know, many of us down this path of like, wow, I have totally been operating in a bubble. Mm -hmm. Definitely within San Francisco, I realized this where it's totally okay. It's celebrated to be queer and it's celebrated to be sex positive and you can throw a stone in any direction and hit a non-monogamous person. And so like when you leave that microcosm, when you leave and you, then you're then thrown back into the larger society or in other cultures. And, and that's when I think we can really recognize that, oh man, if you're in a place that's really doing this work well, and you're in communities that are truly like centering these things, that's actually, you know, that in and of itself is privilege. (laughs) It is. No, 100%. And when you have, you know, and I have a lot of empathy because like growing up, you know, me and you were millennials, right? So like we mm-hmm. we grew up in very, like we just, racism was like, for the most part, just not, I mean, it was, it's obviously always going to be a thing, but like it wasn't, you know, we grew up learning about Martin Luther King and learning about like, way, like we were taught diversity from a young age. And we have to remember that like, there are still people out there, like people my parent, my parents' age, who were not taught the same things that we were taught. They were taught other things that were very, very harmful for those communities. And so, like, that's almost a place of privilege as well, is, like, us kind of having that education from a young age and, like, uh, having an understanding of racism and, like, why it's why it's bad, you know, and like that it exists, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's, and, and even so, right. Like it's, it's shocking how many people still are like sort of deny the impacts of it. Right. Or deny that it's, it's still an issue. And, and even with that, and I think really honestly, to, for me, I, I don't know if it's so much that we were taught it because I think that like, unfortunately the education systems often fail and this is not true everywhere. Right. But I definitely went to a, a, like, at least when I moved to Connecticut, a a predominantly white high school. And Mm -hmm. so I'm definitely aware of the ways in which it it, it's like white supremacy. It can be seeded into not even just white supremacy, just, just like isms are seeded into education. But what we did have was internet and exposure. Mm -hmm. Yes. So for one of the first times in history, which is why representation is so fucking important, because we had examples 
outside of our immediate hometown, our church, our, you know, whatever it was that was like previously, that was how, that was like what we were socialized as. Unless you left that town, that's all you knew. And then, so those same systems were reflected back to you. Nobody's really questioning it as long as you maintain status quo. Right. And now, I mean, for me, I was, I don't remember when MySpace came out, but I was young. I was in formative years. You know what I mean? And so during that time where I may not, where I might've been boxed out from hearing other people's experiences, seeing different people's bodies, people talking about their, their life, we had the exposure to that representation, which I think from definitely helped at least get us to a place where we can start asking these questions, you know, 30 years later. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I did want to ask too, like, what are some common misconceptions or stereotypes about non-monogamous individuals from diverse mm-hmm. backgrounds? Um, mm-hmm. And what, how do these like impact uh, their experiences and our experiences within the community? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, generally, I and this is something that I, I've had to learn is I generally try to avoid speaking on behalf of other people's experiences mm-hmm. um, when I'm having these conversations. And the reason being is what I realized could happen was I was projecting my own biases right around the mm-hmm. suffering of some community or the negative stereotypes of a community and then like projecting that onto them. And then have after a handful of conversations where people are like, that's actually like not how I feel in my experience. And, you know, and and with enough of those like points of friction, I realized, okay, my platform is to talk about the things that I have seen from my perspective or experience from my perspective. Right. And so some of the things that I definitely do um, recognize, and I'll speak from my perspective first is like a queer woman or gender fluid is really more how I I identify, but um, the sexualization of women who like women, Right. And like the assumption of how that's going to play out for often a cis male, um, what that dynamic, what that fantasy is going to look like. And the truth is it hurts everyone involved because if you come in with a certain expectation, if you believe that like just simply showing up with a cock is going to get you access to these things and and simply because she's into women, she's going to want to fuck your girlfriend. Right. Like it's that that like is that harmful and and potentially objectifying and potentially just harmful in general if we're still learning how to own our nose yeah um but it also hurts the person coming in with that expectation because it's like now you feel like why i i mean i was taught that this is just i i just have access to this and now all of a sudden i don't have access to this right and so that same concept that i just described there using just like a queer woman can be applied to really any sort of community and that will play out slightly differently one of the biggest things that I see consistently, though, like let's take um, like, like the black people of color in non-monogamous spaces, one often underrepresented, like mm-hmm. historically, and I'm sure you can speak to this in the swinger community as well. Like historically, if you went into these spaces, there was it was it was higher socioeconomic status, very fucking white, usually thin, right? And so, um, and also they are usually like not just like higher, like, like very higher, like way, like they've done studies on this. Um, and they, the studies that they found is that it's predominantly Caucasian, uh, people who with conservative values who are very much like, if not middle-class, like upper middle-class to like higher class. Right. So like people who have, because of the way that, that the swinging events are like, they're just 
expensive. So like that you're only creating spaces for those people. Yes. And then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Where it's like, Mm -hmm. if I walk into a space and I don't see anybody that looks like me, shares similar values as me, it's hard for me to connect to them. Like the reality is I'm just likely to not come back again. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going to do the emotional labor of explaining to you why that space didn't feel safe for me or like, because why would I, if there's no intention of continued, you know, relationship, I'm just going to disappear. And that happens so often with uh, a lot of people who are socialized as women in sex positive spaces, because they, I call it sharking, like where you show up to a space and you're the fresh me. And all of a sudden you're just like swarmed, right? Like, like, these are little tiny ways that like the different communities like are, are impacted by stigma and, and, and stereotypes and just general lack of understanding and awareness. Um, there are not enough people of color. There are not enough trans people. There are not enough trans people of color um, organizing these spaces. Um, and as a result, there are a lot of blind spots around how we could mitigate risk and educate community around the lived experiences of these people, right? And then you see lack of representation. Mm-hmm. Now, where this be where I have seen this be a real big issue is in the handful of voices, right, that do represent these different like intersections of our community that do honestly step out in in a way that might is like a bit it is big and and public and it takes a long time like even my business partner like that there's she she very much prefers to be behind scenes because in her perspective like she already deals with racism she already deals with gender like you know like uh norms she already deal like so why would i <laughs> actively you know choose to put myself out there and receive more of that mm-hmm. and so as a result then when there are the handful of people that do and do do the emotional labor to try and speak to their experience and to try and give feedback and they aren't heard or listened to, or their voices aren't valued or worse. What happens to her all the time is they're enacted. The changes and the feedback is enacted, but never credited, Mm -mm. just stolen from her altogether, never any feedback. Right. So these are some of the things that I do see Um, especially once we get towards like the top where like the leadership levels are happening, where um, there are absolutely certain voices and particularly um, non-binary queer, like queer black women of color in these spaces are not listened to. Mm -mm. And I I want to, yeah, I think specifically that's the, of the, probably the most underrepresented. And this isn't just in the non-monogamous space. This is also in the sex work space. And if you think about the sex work space, who fucking created pole dance, who created these spaces, who created these, um, you know, these, this aesthetic, this stripper aesthetic, right? Cause I'm, I'm a stripper, so I can say this, like who, who created that non-binary, you know, queer women of color. And they're the most underrepresented in these groups when we're mm-hmm. talking about sex work, right? And like they're they're so underrepresented. And so I think that like that that holds true to like both uh, any sex positive spaces. Yeah. And on the other side of it, when they are represented, there is a much higher percentage of harm. Mm-hmm. 
So it's like these, when we look at these statistics, I think sometimes I get caught in this, like, like, how is this not obvious to everyone that this is like, <laughs> that this is a very real problem? Like we have the data, but the truth is data and social conditioning live in two different like realms. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we have to keep having these conversations until it changes. Right. Um, I think that the next question I'm going to ask you is one of the more important questions. And I, I feel like if you're listening to this, like turn your ears up, like really <laughs> like get, get into this question because this is where I, I feel like, especially, and I'm, I am guilty of this, right? Because when I started on social media and I started like creating communities with other community leaders and other ambassadors, um, the the biggest buzzwords buzzword that we used was inclusive. Like these are inclusive spaces. Without actually, I was like, well, they're inclusive because like we all have different body types, or like we're different ages, right? I did not really realize what inclusivity meant until I started doing this work. So, you know, I I really think that it's important for like people to really really listen to this because I feel like this is so important. Um, but like, what do you feel like? non-monogamous communities like how can they be more inclusive to individuals of marginalized groups and this speaks back to my conversation that I had a couple weeks ago about sex workers and being in them or in marginalized groups and like how we're appropriating that in these communities specifically these communities and like how we can work on that but like I definitely want to hear your take on it yeah um so anytime I'm having these conversations, one of the the first things that I, I find to be a really helpful starting point is to like, when you walk in is to state, when you walk into a room and you feel completely safe, completely seen, uh, completely regulated, right? You see, like you can move through that world, that environment with like, you know, minimal friction. Mm-hmm. It's very likely that that space was designed for you in some way. And so a really easy starting point as just a general thought experiment is to ask who might not be, like who might not feel safe here? Why wouldn't they feel safe here? And start to look at your environment just outside of your perspective. Because like we were saying earlier, privilege by design is often blind to the people that carry it. Mm-hmm. And so starting to shift that out of just the assumption that because I feel safe here, everyone feels safe here. And instead, actively doing the thought experiment to repattern that to go, who wouldn't and why wouldn't they? And are they here? Mm-hmm. Mm. No. Okay. Because now we can work backwards, right? Now we can go, we can we can start to figure out what those things are that, that make this space less safe, for, might make this space less safe for certain communities. And we can start to mitigate risk. We can start to implement processes. We can start to ask questions around that. Um, so that's a really good starting point. The next thing that we did as an organization that I thought is going to sound really like kind of almost like pedantic and simple, but truthfully, in the beginning, when we are battling against default conditioning, mm-hmm. We almost need like clinical formulas that will not feel natural at first, but we need them as safeguards until it becomes more integrated. And so what we did, anytime there was a decision made as an organization, anytime we were rolling out a new policy or writing a new paper or organizing an event or bringing somebody on board, we would run it two questions by every decision and we would have an open discussion about it, which was one, how was equity considered in this decision or in this idea? Mm-hmm. And we debated. 
was equity considered? Is diversity seen here? How was how did we end up coming to this idea and this decision? Mm-hmm. And then the next question is, how can we make it more equitable? Right. How do we go? How do we make it even more equitable? How do we make it even more inclusive? How do we make it? And you can insert whatever that word is there for us. Equity for us, we really prioritized equity in terms of the conversation because we didn't just want to focus on having different bodies and experiences. We wanted to focus on platforming those mm-hmm. different bodies and experiences. We want to make sure they were getting paid for their work, right? Like that was like our big focus, but you can insert any of those words in that question and have that conversation because yeah. initially what we're battling against is philosophy, theology, ideas. And so we need to battle those ideas with new ideas and new support systems that can help us look outside of what we may be already conditioned with. Mm-hmm. And so That is just a basic, basic starting point. And this is true for organizers, but you can also do this when you are just a member of a community. Start to pay attention to these things. The next piece is if you are a member of a community, holding your leader, the leaders of that community accountable, which I know is something we have both had to do in our lines of work. Um, And it is not easy. No, like it is not easy. This is arguably one of the most challenging parts of, of the work that I've had to do is, is to actively speak out on behalf of these things and um, hold your leadership team accountable to being actively anti-racist, actively anti-homophobic, actively, right? Like anti these, these things. Um, and if they cannot speak to how they are willing to be held accountable. If they're not available for feedback, if you're not seeing any changed behavior, unfortunately, my recommendation is to find a different community that does and can, um, yep. because it's not the community for you. If you are, if you, if you are actively, and like they say, like say it with your whole chest, right. Then that's what you do. And that's what you stand behind. And that does mean for many of us that you were, you were going to get a little taste of the hatred and the bigotry and the trolls and the just a little taste of it, mm-hmm. of what many of these people in these communities exist through every single day in society. Mm-hmm. And that I actually think is a very important part of this learning process because that's where real empathy comes from. And honestly, it's where a little bit of the fire for, like you said earlier, the fight comes from because there is a fight here too, you know, and it's a fight for love. It's a love-based fight, but there is a fight for, for a liberation, fight, yeah. you know? And it's also like recognizing what spaces are meant for you and what aren't. Yes. Um, because I think that that's something that being in these rooms that I've been in, you know, I have so much privilege in that. And I'm so lucky that I even get to look at it from this perspective. But I remember when I had this conversation, like this was probably almost a year ago when I started having these conversations in communities. And, a, and community leaders literally just told me, like, there's nothing wrong. There's no mm-hmm. issue. Everything, you know, is is going as planned. We're selling out events. People, no one's saying anything, you know, that, that, that this is bothering them. So, like, let's just leave it the way that it is. We're, you know, we're doing everything. And I'm like, that was the first red flag for me. And then I started branching out and and talking about it within like the wider community. And then that's when I was like, wow, wow, this is, we need, we need the starting point. Like we are literally at the starting point with the swinger community because historically it has been this way. And we've done things this way for so long that like 
now that people are speaking and it's not just me speaking out against this, like there's Mm -mm. also other um, ambassadors and community leaders who are speaking out against this, you know, so it is that starting point. So like if you are listening to this and you are a community leader, you know, in the swinger community and the in the non-monogamous community, like these are the starting points that are really important to to recognize and start having these conversations, even and that was all that I was really trying to do was I just wanted to have the conversation. I just wanted the feedback. I just wanted to know, okay, like let's let's have this active dialogue. And that nobody even wanted to have the active dialogue with me because mm-hmm. it made them so fucking uncomfortable. <laughs> yep. That they didn't even want to do the emotional labor because it didn't matter to them. And I'm mm-hmm. like, so you guys want me to me to do the emotional labor for you without you actually doing the work either. And that's not fair to me. And that's not it's also not fair to these communities, you know, going back to like that. That's not fair to them. You want them to do the emotional labor. You want them to come. You want them to be represented without you doing that labor as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and. Like the, I want to call in something specifically that you said, which was the, well, I've never seen it. So Mm -hmm. no one's ever told me that. So, okay. If you're listening to this right now and you are an organizer or community leader, or even if you just want to throw a party, (laughs) like just because you have not seen it or experienced it firsthand does not mean that it doesn't exist. And I would take it a layer further if you've been doing this and you've been in the community for a long time and you've never gotten that feedback, I would look at yourself a little bit and ask yourself what you are doing or not doing to make yourself safe for that feedback. Mm-hmm. Because it's not that it's not happening. It's often just that we have not made ourselves safe, safe enough for the community to feel like they can actually tell us that and that we're going to listen and that we're going to give a shit and do anything about it. And, and we're going to be empathic to yeah. that. Um, and and I think that that's where these communities are falling flat is that they want to do the work. They do. And I think that people come at it from a good place, right? Yeah. Like a good heart and with love. But it's that emotional labor aspect of it that is that's what's going to take the time. And that's what's going to really like that's why this is going to take a while. Like this is not something that's going to happen tomorrow. And it's because that emotional labor is sometimes so draining and so hard to do. And I knew that that when I started get it, getting in these spaces, and I know me and you had this conversation, you were like, Kylie, are you ready for this? Because if you're not <laughs> ready for this, just <laughs> yeah, get yourself ready first. Cause it's a, it's a, it's a roller coaster. It is. And, um, it, it was really, really, it's been so eye opening for me. And, um, I, I just think that that that's going to probably happen to other people. Like it's going to be eye opening and it's going to be hard and it's gotta be uncomfortable, but we can't grow in comfort. We have to grow in uncomfortability and to get our spaces to where we want them to be. Um, and, and we really, I think a lot of people do want diverse and inclusive and equitable spaces, but to get them there, we do have to do that inner work and we do have to do that reflection. Yeah. Yeah. There is. I I think the reality is too, that is at play here in these scenarios is that if you benefit from a system that's in place, right, you're selling out events, you're making a bunch of money, you're getting to like have a fun and you feel safe. Um, you know, it's, it, people are less inclined to want to disrupt that, but mm-hmm. that's where the harder conversation lives, which is like, 
Yeah, sure. It, it's challenging. It's uncomfortable. And you also like, do you actually want to change a system that directly benefits you? Do you actually want to change that? Right. And that's where some of the deeper stuff comes in and, and the deeper ph philosophy around like, oh no, actually, if we actually believe in liberation, if we actually believe in abundance, then, then we truly believe that with actual diversity, these spaces are more fun, more safe. We make more money. We have like, like it's, it's, it's like, there's this deeper piece that I find like is also another secondary hurdle that we have to go over, which is actually releasing the benefits that we may actually get by right. operating within these systems for so long and, and grieving and also like forgiving ourselves for the ways in which we have allowed that to perpetuate mm -hmm. and then choosing again, Okay, knowing full well that I'm actively choosing to step outside of that comfort, step outside of that safety and and have these conversations and do this emotional labor because I deeply believe that I want this world to exist even if it's not in my lifetime. And that's a hard, you know, that that like I just want to acknowledge that that's like a that's a big jump and it's also privilege. Like if we get mm -hmm. to choose to get involved in a fight, that's privilege because people that are impacted by this fight every day don't have a choice. Right. Right. And that's why I just want to acknowledge that those people that are out there that are choosing to do this, like you and like others in, in, in our community, I want to acknowledge that this is like, that's a, that is a big choice. And it's a choice that many don't make. Mm -hmm. And so if you're doing this, like you're one, not alone, and there are resources and support systems to help in this. Um, but like it is, that's a really big and pretty fundamental and and important choice that I just want to acknowledge and honor for anybody who's on here, like in that state, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, to, to move on to that, like, how do you think that non-monogamous individuals, you know, can advocate for, you know, um, social justice and equity within not just our communities, but beyond communities? Because I think that a lot of people like myself want to do this work and we're called to this work and it means a lot to us but like first of all there's that fear factor of it right like that you're afraid you know I'm oh my god I'm gonna lose my following like mm -hmm. I'm gonna lose um people are people are gonna hate me they're gonna be angry with me I'm gonna lose friends I'm gonna lose friendships I'm gonna lose relationships you know um because they don't right now this is such a polarizing subject um so, I mean, like, how can those people really step into those roles and what does that look like for them? Mm -hmm. So I think what can be really helpful in this is anchoring it all back into your individual integrity. What does that mean for you? Because the truth of the matter is, if we are operating out of integrity, right, out of alignment with our integrity, that's where anxiety depression, frustration, anger, right? Because it's our body trying to tell us that we are not in, aligned with our path, that we are actually acting out of integrity. And you have, and when, when we've been through those experiences in relationships or in community, you feel the friction, you feel the tension, and it will often manifest as a shit storm in your life. And so first, I want to acknowledge, you may lose followers, mm -hmm. you may lose friends, you may have people in your community that cannot and will not meet you where you're at. And I never sugarcoat these things. Like you and I were talking, I was like, this is a, this is part of the recognition and the process of it is like, and to be honest, it is also part of our step towards deep compassion and empathy for, for what it, what it, again, a taste of what it might be like to, to, to experience what this community experiences, because by simply talking about their issues, by simply sharing their stuff, 
people are that like reactive and that, and so it actually does kind of further, you know, show us the realities of what it is that we're battling against. Um, my biggest recommendations for how to do this though, one going back to hold your leadership accountable, hold them accountable. And again, if that can, if you end up losing that community because they can't meet you, I honor how fucking scary that is and how dysregulating that is for your nervous system. I also promise you that being in a community that actually supports and aligns with your integrity is a way it's worth it to find that because that like is where real safety and growth and, and transformation can come. And they do exist, but they only exist with your raw, authentic integrity and authenticity. And so right. first and foremost is holding your people in your, in your community accountable. The next is if you recognize something that makes you feel uncomfortable, speaking up, calling people in, learning the skill of feeling that discomfort, feeling the like, oh my God, is anybody going to agree with me? Am I going to be that person? Like, yeah, like if it means either allowing this to happen around you and allow and stepping and being out of line with your integrity or speaking up with love to be in alignment with your integrity, being in alignment with your integrity will slowly over time become more important than uh, validation, external validation from a community that does not align with that. Right. Absolutely. And when and another, when you're speaking to them and they're constantly gaslighting you and telling you like, okay, like, uh, you know, I don't see that happening. This is like really, really know what I see this happening, you know, really think about that. And that those are the, the communities to start holding accountable when they're saying, no, like this isn't happening. You're just, you know, you're, you're just like making stuff up or you're just trying to create chaos or drama because that's literally the response that I got was when I tried to bring these up in communities was like, no, you're just trying to create chaos. That's not there. And I'm like, no, no, like this is making me uncomfortable. Like we need to have, can we please, I want to feel safe and trusted. And I want to have somebody to talk about this with these feelings that I have. So I think too, like if you're, if you're having these conversations and you're not being heard, regardless of what color of your skin is or, you know, your gender identity or the size of your body or anything like that, um, you should be heard. Yes. If you are coming to your community and this is even just your friends, the people you're spending time with is mm -hmm. if we can remove the whole, like, you know, cause you and I operate like in community, like, but like, I mean, like just general community, if you are coming to someone in your community with a, with a need or feedback about what it would mean to make you feel safer or more seen. And there is no availability for a feedback loop. Question the environment that you're right. in. You should always have a voice to say something doesn't make me comfortable. This, like I am noticing this thing. And if that, if there is not even dialogue, then yeah, you can choose to do the emotional labor. If my recommendation would be charge them, <laughs> you know, to get them there. But like the reality is like that, that, that right there, that's a red flag that you should start to question. The other thing that I found to be extremely helpful, and this is something we did early on is a group of us did cla these classes together. Mm -hmm. um, one of which was the uh, Heal Thyself, which we'll, I'll plug later just for anybody who wants it. But the um, specific just to like black people of color's experience in these spaces is we did book clubs and we did a book club on me and white supremacy. 
And that's a really good one because it it it's actionable stuff. Like it's journal prompts and it has you like really applying the stuff real time. So it's really good dialogue. And so create support systems of the people that are, you know, maybe coming from similar backgrounds as you, but are trying to move towards a more like space of liberation that are actively trying to decondition their minds. And so that way you now have a different community that's able to reflect back to you like maybe some blind spots in that process, or you can learn from the mistakes that they've made or get encouragement on your journey. And so I think that's another really big piece is like finding other individuals that are actively fighting for true liberation and connection, communication between communities, because we are who we surround ourselves with. And so it will be like one of two things I find can happen. Either we stay in community that's not aligned and we just slowly like lose ourselves like you just like you know and eventually disappear or we assimilate and operate out of integrity and so that those are those are some steps that i think can be really really helpful as like starting points even if like nothing changes behaviorally tomorrow you can start by educating yourself and thought like there's so many content creators out there if your social media feed is all one body one color one you know viewpoint Go out of your way to search for other uh, and listen as Brene Brown says, like our job is to like, listen, like listen to people when they tell us and, and believe them, even if it doesn't match our experience. Right. So start to expose yourself to people on the internet that represent these different mar- our communities, not even mar- like communities that are marginalized, just represent different experiences mm-hmm. and listen to them. Right. We have, like we were talking about, we have endless access. And this is again, where personal accountability comes in. You can't tell me at this point that you can't, that you don't know. We have Google, right? We have the internet. So if you really want to know, do the work to find it out. I promise you information on the history of racism exists. Information on the history of homophobia exists, right? Listen to content creators that are talking about their experiences. Expose yourself. (laughs) Expose yourself to new. And like, that was really the starting point for me when I had a video go viral like super viral, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm not just talking like a million views. I'm talking like 12, 13, 14 million views, like on Mm -hmm. Instagram, like it was huge. When every other comment on that video was where, uh, where is the diversity? I see all Mm -hmm. young, attractive white people. That was when I was like, fuck. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I am I am perpetuating this. I am putting this out there as a content creator. And I'm saying that, like, I'm this diverse and inclusive person. And the feedback that I got back from having that conversation was like, well, you know, we've reached out to like different content creators to work with us. They don't want to because like, you know, they, they just they don't respond to us or they don't want to, which I do understand. But I'm like, yeah, but like, do you realize why they're not? Because you have not created safe spaces for them. And, you know, that's why they're not putting them, themselves out there in your community. Um, and that was me. I had to kind of move away from a lot of the swinger communities that I had been involved with for so long because and I had to move into like just non-monogamous spaces like the polyamorous community and really learn from them because I mean historically they are more accepting of marginalized groups and like they are more queer spaces and diverse places so that was me doing that self-reflection and that learning like okay 
now I have to, I'm not getting this from my community and I don't know if I'm ever going to get this in right now, but I can get that need from them. I can learn from them and educate myself from them. And I've learned so much just from being, from listening to them and being a part of those communities, because there are a lot of non-monogamous creators of color and they might not specifically be in swinger spaces, but that's also okay because we're all, again, we're, we're doing this together just because, you know, we all love differently, but, um, that was where I had to like branch out. And since I've done that, it's been so transformative and beautiful for me. And now they also have a different understanding for my community because me stepping mm -hmm. out, you know, and, and kind of branching out and saying like, no, we're the same and I love and support you. You know, I chat with them all the time via Instagram and I learn so much and I let them know my appreciation for the information that they're putting out there and sharing their information with others who might not have that on their feed, you know? And I think that ah. that's so important is. Yes. The sharing that information with others who may not even know it exists. Um, yeah. It's an easy way to use our platform and just a little, like this is take this with for whoever's listening. This was one of the first things that we did in the heal thyself class, which is a class for people who are racialized as white to like heal that conditioning and kind of come back to a more like deconditioned place. Anyway, um, is to simply share it without our own opinions. Mm -hmm. Just share content creators from various representation that because when your community is is on your platform and they're engaging with you the content you share comes with a certain level of credibility and right. so it actually does go a really long way and when we can resist the like I tongue in cheek but like not tongue in cheek like the very like Caucasian like uh it, it, like desire to like paint our own opinion or or say our own like you know on top of it like no just sharing, just sharing it, letting their, letting the people who are talking about their experience, share their experience, but give them our platform to do it. Mm -hmm. And truly like the amount of times that I will have people reach out to me that are like, like, thank you for sharing this. Like I had no idea, or I've never seen this before. Or, I've never like people really are watching. And so if you are somebody who has even a small platform, like I've got what, like a thousand people on like Instagram, like it's, but the, the people that are following me are digesting this and are downloading this and can expect this for me. And, and, and in doing so, I'm also, you know, thinking about the optics of who I want to feel safe when they come here. I want to, them to see their bodies, their faces, their stories. Absolutely. And that's, I think that that's so, so important to um, empower and uplift the people yeah who can have these conversations, right? Because me and you, um, we can, I can have these conversations about sex work and I can have these conversations about bisexuality and gender identity and all of that, right? Because I do that, that is who I am. And that's the marginalized mm -hmm. groups that I am a part of. So I can have opinions on those, but I've never been a person of color in a room you know, filled with white people who are on a way different socioeconomic scale. I've never been that person. So mm -hmm. I can't really speak on that. I can listen. But mm -hmm. that is the most important part is like finding those people and listen and truly listening with your ears, like mm -hmm. we're and your heart, right? Like listening, truly listening, and then digesting it and then growing from it. You mm -hmm. know, um, and and I think also letting them know that you appreciate them being yeah. so vulnerable to speak on it. 
and you know, doing that the vulnerability is labor, hard. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, thank you for, for taking you. Cause this is another big thing. Like as a poly, as a non-monogamous and a pansexual, I get questions and especially as an organizer, right? Like I get questions about this stuff all the time and I am happy to answer them 99.9% of the time because I, you know, have come to a place where I, I, I don't, that, that isn't draining from me. And the moment that it is, I, you know, disengage and I refer them to some places on the internet. They can educate themselves. Mm-hmm. However, no person that represents the marginalized community owes you the emotional labor to educate you. No, nobody do not owe you that. Mm-mm. Do not owe you that, <laughs> especially not if you've actually caused harm. Definitely don't owe you that now. Right. I might choose to do it. And so the response to that would be, thank you so much. Like, mm-hmm. thank you for taking the time out of your day right? To hold me accountable. You didn't need to do that. So I like, that's a really important perspective shift in this work, which is like, there's a natural, especially in the beginning defensiveness. Like we center Mm -hmm. ourselves in the experience and that's where we make ourselves not safe for the call out or for the feedback. And so we need to really look at where we are centering ourselves in the experience, not getting defensive, not making it about us, not denying their experience. And honestly, that's where a huge part of the work lives Definitely in the beginning, but ongoing. We need to learn how to regulate our nervous system when we say we're available to hold space for that feedback and continue to do that when people, you know, reach out to us and acknowledge the emotional labor that they put in to get us there. Thank you. Yeah. And I experienced that. that. I experienced that when I came out and me and, and it wasn't just me. Like I wasn't the, just the only sex worker who was like having these conversations, right? Like these were coming from, you know, because I'm also a part of those communities and those women are a huge part of my community, right? And and my learning and growth. And when we started having these conversations about like the aesthetics of sex workers and how it's harmful to like steal those aesthetics. And I was just like, um, I had the conversation on a podcast and on social media. I was like, all right, like, let's talk about pole dance and let's talk about pleasers and buying pleasers and like why that can be harmful um, to the sex work community and like the feedback that I got from my own community like that that almost like devastated me because I was in because I put out that emotional labor and I put out like it wasn't my opinion like this isn't just an opinion of Kylie like this is an opinion of the greater community and like even sharing, you know, stories from other sex workers and organizations and blogs and like all of that and still getting the feedback from my own community that like, no, I, this, this isn't happening. Like, and me being vulnerable was devastating to me when somebody said to me, like, you're just being privileged and you're just like trying to create an issue where there is no issue. I'm like, but no, like these women, like this is, and if I go to work and talk about it, all every there is not a single dancer who's going to be like, oh no, I'm fine with that. Buy pleasers, mm-hmm. I don't care. You know, take pole dance classes and be a pole influencer without actually doing like the work and understanding where it came from, right? Like, no, all of the women that I work with and all of the women in the sex work space are going to tell you the same thing that I'm telling you, but I have a platform, so I get to talk about it. And like, that was just really something that was difficult for me to digest and realizing like, okay, this is tough, but also it's needed. And these conversations, and sometimes people are not, they're never going to listen to you. 
They're never yeah. going to align with you and they're never going to hear what you're saying because it, it again, makes them uncomfortable and like they want to buy their pleasers. They want to take, they want to appropriate the aesthetic of stripping because it feels good for them and it's fun for them. Um, they're not going to do that emotional labor because like it, it feels too good. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's too comfortable. It's too fun for them. So like that, I think is something to really think about. Like when we have these conversations, it's not just about the color of someone's skin or the size of their body or their disability. Like there are so many facets to this and we have to start listening to these voices um, without judgment. Because yeah. a lot of times we put our own biases into it, mm -hmm. you know, and we have to really take that judgment out of it and say, okay, maybe this person First of all, they're being vulnerable and we have to appreciate that and applaud them for that and just say, you know what, I'm listening to you and I hear you and I'm going to learn more about this. Yeah. And and this, I'm glad you brought up this, this as an example, because I think there's a couple of things that also are at play here that like make it feel extra sticky is it's, it's one thing if somebody has a bunch of sex worker friends and is like constantly platforming their, their stripper friends and also wears pleasers. And right. That feels different than the person who wears pleasers out to the club. And then also, you know, stigmatizes sex work mm -hmm. and makes comments about STIs and being dirty and right. Like that's different because you are actively harming the community that you are mm -hmm. taking from. Right. Right. And like, this is, this is what we, this is what we need to be looking at mm -hmm. in all of these different realms of, of, of like, whatever the intersection is like, this is that that's where there's like the, this, like where I feel like the fire comes in because it's like, wow, you're not only not willing to hear me, but you're actively willing to harm me while taking from me as well. And like, when you hear that, you have to understand that any human, any community is going to rebel against that. And what we can do um, to like, to, to shift that immediately is to shut up and listen, just yeah. shut up and listen. It's not about you for a second. And this is where it gets really hard because sometimes that's angry because I'm the first person that they've ever gotten to say, fuck you for all of this. And if I am saying that I'm a safe person for you to say, to, to hold that space, knowing what my boundaries are, of course, around like physical safety and emotional safety, yeah, I'm not going to police tone police you now in the way that you're bringing it to me either. Right. Like this is still the way like you, this is how you are choosing to, to have this expression with me. And I am going to try and hold that for you because it's more important to me that I get the information and the lesson that you are trying to impart than it is for me to tell you to do it in a way that makes me feel comfortable. Can you call mm -hmm. out my racism in a way that makes me feel better about it? No, I can't. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and nor should I have to. And so I think there's like these factors at play that can, when we just look at any community, we can start to see that likeness and we can start to see where, okay, we like, we do share a lot of these, these things. And we also maybe may also be doing this to other communities unknowingly because we're living in our own experience. Right. Absolutely. And I, and I think too, like, my thought process was, I am your friend. I am somebody who you can trust. I am a safe person from a lot of you. And getting that back from them taught me the lesson of maybe I'm not aligning with the right communities mm -hmm. because if they can't even hear me out as their friend, you know, if I came to them and I was like, hey, I'm your friend and like this is hurting me, you know, um, if they can't even hear me like that, then what am I doing and where am I at? You know, yeah. 
And, and ask people like listening, if if someone is coming to you, like I, and I deeply believe this, there's two points in which we, we like trauma can incur. Well, there's tons of points of trauma can incur, but there are these two like major points. There's the trauma itself. Right. And then like, which is the experience. Um, and then there is the trauma that can come from not being believed or um, denied or dismissed from the people that we are, that we love when we are trying to explain to them this trauma occurred. Mm-hmm. So where we may not have control always over, you know, minimizing trauma f- that's caused for other people out in the world, what we absolutely have control over is not being a part of that secondary, like that re-traumatizing. Re- yeah. Like, because it is, it's true. It, and, and I, I use, I don't use that word lightly. Like we are talking about deep biological nervous system functioning. Like our need to exist within community is this deep biological. It thing. is. We're and packed, so, we're packed, cre- you know, we're, we're packed animals, right? Like that's how we think. And we, we roll in packs. Community is so fucking important, especially this day and age when churches have kind of like disbanded a little bit more than in, you know, because back, back in the day, back our parent and our parents' generation, you know, they, they had the church for their community. So like, we don't really truly have those anymore. Cause I think a lot of people are, are kind of moving away from organized religion and kind of finding spirituality within themselves, which is a whole different conversation, but like (laughs) community is so important. So if we are in community and we are like, discrediting people and not listening to them within our communities that makes them feel ostracized and that just re-traumatizes them not wanting to come back yes your nervous system like does not which is also again going back to like why i commend people so much for evolving out of that and choosing their own integrity if Mm -hmm. that means leaving a community because it is like our nervous system literally feels like it is like we're dying fires off like we are dying when we're when we perceive we're being ostracized by our community Mm -hmm. so this shit is deep it is real and so you have the opportunity to to literally like help curb that experience for someone like just by being quiet just by Mm -hmm. being quiet and removing your bias and your judgment from the space it's not about you like Mm -hmm. it's about them and their experience absolutely 100 percent and that's something that, you know, for about like the past year that I've been, I've been really, really struggling with. Um, but then you, you start to realize, you know, this is bigger than just one community. This is like mm-hmm. multiple communities and this is you, you know? Um, and I think lastly, like what advice would you give to people in these non-monogamous spaces who want to be allies like me and you and to those who are just like facing these challenges within the community like they do see themselves being ostracized they do see or they're in live they're in fear of that right mm-hmm. um they're in fear of standing up to their leaders like where how can you what advice can you give to them you know yeah um First and foremost, reach out to us, like, like reach out to, like, and truly reach out to people that are openly saying they're available for these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also a lot of really incredible, like, uh, um, not integrity, um, inclusivity coaches, mm-hmm. um, that like, if you, uh, I, I, obviously this speaks to somewhat like socioeconomic privilege, but like we were talking about this earlier, like these are also wildly valuable skills. And so you can hire somebody like I 
I took a course, all of the white leadership on our team took this heal thyself course. It was like 40 to 80 hour intensive over the course of several months. And it was like, you know, cost money to do it. Um, and well, so yeah, because I, these I, people are providing a service like that yeah. was, we had this conversation beforehand because I'm doing some work with like blogging and stuff with this in, uh, you know, so I, I reached out to somebody who actually is, um, and we talked about this with NCSF too, um, when we had, um, the ENM summit, like you're, you're going to have to pay people for their services with this and you, you have to be okay with that. But we do come from a privileged socioeconomic place. And this is also, you know, with anything, like if people are providing you emotional labor and services and doing, helping you do work, <laughs> they deserve 100% to be paid. Right. Yeah. Um, so that I, I really do. If, if that is something that you are able to access, right. If that's available mm -hmm. for you, um, I would definitely recommend like that as a starting point, because you're also then going to, again, get into a community of people that are committed to the same work and it makes transformation, especially deep, challenging, you know, conditioning transformation a lot easier. Um, uh, or no, no, I'm not going to say that. Not a lot easier. Um, no, it's, it's never <laughs> because easy. it's not. It doesn't make it easier, but what it, it, more successful. Mm -hmm. you, you, there, there is a greater chance of long-term change when you have a community that is able to reflect the direction of where you're trying to go and hold you accountable in the process. Mm -hmm. um, let me think. Is there anything else that I would say is is... Like I want to impart for anybody who's seeking to do this stuff. Um, I think the only thing that I would say is that if you are at the point where you're listening to this and this resonates, if you're at the point where this scares the hell out of you to do this, like I would argue now is the time because yeah. in my experience, people are blind to it or they see it and it starts to cause because you can't, and this is the other thing I'll say, and, and this was advice given to me by bridge. When we first started this class, you cannot put this stuff back in the box. It's not to sound cryptic, but it will fundamentally change how you see everything in the world. That is, you know, that's a journey <laughs> to go on. Um, but like once if you are feeling like if you see it already, if you feel that disconnection, that lack of alignment, I'm sorry, you're already sort of on board mm -hmm. and you can do one of two things with that. You can either get on and and help us row, you know, in, in the right direction, or you're going to wade in really uncomfortable water indefinitely because you will, you already have the awareness that something isn't right. And unfortunately, integrity lives on a much deeper, like mm -hmm. subconscious and spiritual level. And, and you will probably experience a lot of friction and tension until you get in alignment. Yeah. And that's, that's what I've experienced. And I experienced that fear and I, oh my God, I'm going to lose like friends. But like, if, if I'm not being heard in these communities, um, that is not really where I need to be. Like that is just not the place for me and it's okay and it hurts and it sucks for a minute. But once you come in, I know so many people who have like dealt with this, right? Like once you come out of that, you feel this sense of freedom mm -hmm. and you feel this sense of like, I 
can, I am my own self and I have integrity and my ethics and morality here is like be and and you will find those communities and you will find people who align with you once you get rid of that. But living in that fear is just, I think, perpetuating that constant trauma response, you know, Mm -hmm. which for some of us feels normal and feels right. And um, it's, you know, once you get out of that, I think that that's really healing and it's really important. And it's, I feel like it's important to show others how you can be strong in that, you know? I mean, I have gotten to a place and this is taking me a long time to get here where it feels like a, like our responsibility. Like it's like, it, it it's almost like, yeah, <laughs> especially as a leader, right. With a platform mm-hmm. and, and, and I, and a community leader, I, had to like mm-hmm. make us like take take a stance in like behind my own integrity and be unwavering in that um and, and say it, it with it, your chest and say it with I your whole is, chest is a big thing like if we're if we want to do this work um we can't like being quiet about it or like doing the things you know like we have to say it with our chest like we really have to say it with our chest and i think that that's where a lot of um, creators fall short and a lot of people, um, ambassadors and whatnot fall short is like, I know that they want to do this work and this work is meaningful, but like, they're not saying it with their chest out of that fear. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it takes a while to build it. Mm -hmm. And I think again, having support systems makes it a lot easier because when you realize that you're not alone in it, that like that, and it also does help with conditioning. Like mm-hmm. we need to know, like not not to seek external validation, but like there is truth in like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one that sees that this is a problem. I'm not the only one that sees that this needs to be a conversation. Like these people might not see it yet, but I know that I'm not crazy. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because I know there's other people that are having these conversations that see these issues that are pushing this agenda. And that really does help with the confidence of standing in the face of the inevitable pushback that you will likely experience w- when you first start to like come out and speak on behalf of your own integrity. But what I can say about that pushback, I can speak on this. <laughs> And, you know, even people have brought it to my attention, other um, people in these spaces who are also doing the work. There's it's one group of people who push back. It is one it, it is one group of people. Those people, you know, definitely aren't in alignment with me, but it is one group of people. And that is upper to middle class privileged white men, mostly everyone else are the ones who are like, I support this. And any comments, any messages, anything is is usually from, that is negative, is usually from them. So if that makes you feel any better and like kind (laughs) of mitigates your fear a little bit, knowing that like, all right, so privileged white men hate me. Okay. That's like, fine. Then it's kind of like, well, right. Like, uh, like, because of course we've been, we've been positioned in opposition based on our conditioning. Right. Like there's a certain, and this is not fair. I, this is like, if there are other cis white men like listening that this doesn't resonate with, I don't, it, we're not generalizing all. No, we're not. Not a, at all. Absolutely. A like, like it's, 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 it's the, the proof is in the pudding. Like when it happens all the time and we can't, we have data over years, like this is the truth. 
And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that like when you just break down, break it down to conditioning, mm-hmm. we are directly taught that like, or well, for a lot of the time, white men have power and they need to hold on to power and any relinquishing of power, anybody outside of that world is a threat to that power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And And then on the other side, we are often conditioned that they're the problem. They are the ones who have the power and we need to get it from them. Right. Right. And it's like, so of course we, of course that's where like, we're the, 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 we're directly positioned in opposition. And the more that we can just like have a conversation about where this disconnect is happening, because you and I work with wealthy cis men, we're friends with wealthy cis men Mm -hmm. all the time that, that this does not represent what I'm speaking to now does not represent. And so where is the disconnect? And my right. husband in is the a, he is a cis man in these spaces who does the growth in the learning. And like I've seen totally transform with this work as well. And I want to call that to him like, he, you know, when he was socialized in a very white conservative community um, and there are for every one negative comment from one um, heterosis man, you know, privileged, there are 50 comments from others mm-hmm. who are cis white men who are like, no, I hear you and I'm listening and I love that yeah. you're doing this. So, like, I, we're not necessarily calling them out. Um, but calling what we're saying in. <laughs> in a way, but like what, what I'm saying is like, if your fear is that like people are going to push back against you, just remember that like those people are going to push, they're pushing back against all of this, not just yeah. you. Right. And, and so you have to remember that like, they're probably on message boards on like CNN or something like that. Like also, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> because they're so politicized in a certain way. Um, And like, this is, that's that's why it is like that so don't live in fear of that just kind of like you don't have to read all of your comments you don't have to read all of your messages you know um you know we don't we're not saying this to like scare you out of like you can that is the beautiful thing about the internet and like communication like that you can turn it off at any time um but where the problem lies and where i think the fear is is like within your communities but that's also okay because if those people are in your communities, maybe that's the universe is telling you that's not the community for you. And that's yeah. also okay. Yeah. And one of the harder things to in the integration process for me was recognizing that surrounding myself with people that did openly carry homophobic, racist, transphobic mm-hmm. views could not be in like could I could not be integrous with the things that Mm -hmm. I said I cared about and also continue to platform them and go out places with them and spend time with them. Mm -hmm. And that was just my journey. Not everyone has such like clear delineations, but for me, I really realized that like I couldn't actually do both. I couldn't continue to show up in in community with people that are actively against, like not actively against, but certainly not in active support of changing things. I think it's still, I think it's active growth. Yes. And the openness of that growth. Yeah. Yes. And if that doesn't exist and I'm still continuing to post Facebook photos with, you know, racist Betty, like it, like it's really hard for, again, like people of people of color to believe me when I say I'm anti-racist. Right. Are you? Right. And that's where it makes them feel unsafe is that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think that that's the really important aspect of all of this is 
Um, and the last thing is just like really, really finding that integrity, finding those ethics within yourself, because sometimes we don't even know what those look like for us. And that is a one of, you know, the thing about non-monogamy and the thing about the spaces that we're in is that it is, and we, I've talked about this a lot on my podcast. It is a space of growth. If you come into these spaces <laughs> and you're not growing and healing and like, you don't have this like existential, like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, everything know, I've been taught is a lie. <laughs> right. <laughs> like this deprogramming of yourself. Um, this is a part of that. And this kind of intersections with that, right? Like that deep programming about, you know, monogamy and the socialization aspect of that. Like this is also a part of that too. And I think that that's kind of where they align. So you've already done a lot. If you're listening to this and you are a non-monogamous individual, you've already done a lot of that work. This just like adds on to that. So you don't have to be in fear of that. Like, Mm -hmm. This is mm -hmm. maybe going to take you down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but like it's going to take you down a similar rabbit hole that you went down when you started going through the non-monogamous healing process. And yeah. so I think that it's that self-reflection in that and in not being in fear of that because you already conquered so much just being here and being non-monogamous and being in these spaces. So like it's okay, you know, to be afraid, but also just know that you do have communities, which speaking of how can people get a hold of you, get a part of your communities, what kind of things are you doing within your community to support, to support these people who want to be an ally? Yeah. So, um, there's a couple of different ways. First, you can find us at forlove.love. Um, in there, there is, so myself and my business partner, we do offer DEI consent and accountability coaching for any organizational leaders or any like healers or even just individual people that want to go a little bit deeper into this. Mm -hmm. um, so I would first and foremost, check that out. The other thing that I think might benefit people who are trying to understand when we say like, say this with your whole chest and stand behind it, what we mean, look at the forlove.love website because mm -hmm. And I want to be really clear. There's a reason I don't offer this in the very beginning. I wait until you have to listen to everything we just said to get here because simply copying and putting these words on your page, but not doing the work to change, to actually challenge your biases is not the same thing, but look at how we say the things that we say on our website. It is in everything. You will see diversity, equity, our commitment to that, our commitment to Black Lives Matter, our commitment to Trans Lives Matter, our right? Like, so if you come to my website you are not going to be confused <laughs> mm -hmm. about what we stand for here and the work that we're trying to do. What this does is it help us self people self-select out, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody comes here and they have not met that part of the diversity process, this is probably going to trigger them right away. And they're, they're probably either going to like clap back or they're just going to move on. Most people just move on. Um, so that's one of the ways that like we are constantly trying to like infuse this into every conversation that we have. Another thing that we do is our love skills platform. So we partner with the company Bloom. I'm sure some people on here probably are familiar with Bloom. It's a non-monogamous community app. And we do monthly workshops. That's no one turned away for lack of funds. And I think maximum $35 a workshop if you're able. 
And through that, we platform. Kylie's going to be there this actually in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, well, depending on when you're listening to this, I guess not. So we platform different people that represent different points of intersection within the larger sex positive and sexual liberation movement. So you can learn from them <laughs> about the things that they want to talk about, the things that they are experts in. And just as importantly, you might have two people talking on the same exact subject with two completely different lived experiences and backgrounds. And now you have the opportunity to see the difference in that, or perhaps see yourself more in one of the leaders. And so definitely checking out the love skills lineup and like the stuff that's coming out on bloom outside of love skills, because there is a huge sort of cross, uh, organizational, um, movement that's happening right now where it's not just one or two of us that are really trying to have these conversations and specifically platform education Mm -hmm. in these spaces. There's a lot of us that are, and Bloom is a huge supporter of like getting that stuff out there. And that also holds true to like NCSF is a big one. Um, as, as well as like the Woodhall Foundation and then mm-hmm. Open um, as well, the um, Organization for Polyamory and Ethical Non-Monogamy. So like th- a lot of these sex positive spaces are also having these conversations and they're doing it well. Um, and they're, you know, so I think looking to different places to get that education is really, it, it's really been an important part of this for me, but I just wanted to like, uplift and empower them as well because I think that they're you know like Woodhall is really sex worker positive and um censorship you know when dealing with censorship and like open is very much in like ethical non-monogamy spaces and then of course you have NCSF who is you know the sexual freedom so this is all but they're also they have very much an encouragement on DEI and they and they have parts of that on their website as well that you can read. So I think that's important. And they also prioritize being trauma-informed mm-hmm. when with their kinkware professionals and the like coalition partners, not everyone, but it, there's an emphasis on being trauma-informed. And I deeply believe that if we were to boil down everything that we are talking about, if you just went through the steps of becoming more trauma-informed, mm-hmm. you're already on the path to like developing the skills to like how to navigate this with a little bit more grace. And NCSF does a lot to like, um, uh, platform and like make it easily accessible and available for you to connect with other educators, therapists, coaches in this space. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, they've done that for me from the beginning when, you know, so NCSF was, it has been a huge part of, you know, not only has for love, but like NCSF has been a huge part of this for me as well and a huge resource. And I just want people to really like stand in that. And that's how we learn how to say things with our chest is like when, when we learn about it and we feel like confidence about talking about it comes Mm -hmm. from knowing about it and really knowing about it. Right. And not just saying like, well, you know, I'm inclusive. Well, of course you are. We're all none of none of us want to not be inclusive, you know. Um, but really saying it with our chest is the important thing, and and you can build confidence in that if we start looking to these resources. I think that's the most important part. So, Absolutely. thank you so much for this very valuable conversation. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that we did it. Yeah, this is this has been a long time coming. We've talked about this for a long time, like how we really just wanted to have these conversations. And again, I just want to reiterate that like these topics can be a little bit triggering and it might take some time to really digest what we talked about. And you might need to listen to this like three or four or five different times to really like sit in with that and feel it and like, you know, journal about it, meditate on it, you know, pray about it if that's what you do. So, you know, like really just taking the time and listening is, is amazing. So thank you for being here. And thanks to the people who are listening, who are, you know, they, they want to do the work. So we appreciate that. So um, I'm going to put all of Bridget's information and all the organizations that we talked about. Um, I'm going to put those in the show notes. Um, anything, you know, if there's any resources that you guys need beyond this, feel free to reach out to myself or Bridget. Um, you know, you can reach out to her on social media. All her information is on there. So um, thank you guys for listening and riding on the Pineapple Express with us. Thanks so much, everybody.